open up your Bibles to the letter of Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be looking there first, and uh, we're going to be jumping around in the scriptures a little bit today as we're studying, but we'll start there. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we've been looking at baptism, uh, uh, taking a, a good in-depth look at what baptism is, what it means, and whether we should do it or not, whether it's essential to salvation and so forth. In the last few weeks, we've looked at how the apostles preached baptism in the book of Acts, how they went about preaching it, how each and every conversion baptism was mentioned. Baptism was done immediately. It wasn't, wasn't long after, it was at that time. And how we looked at Peter's letters and how he preached baptism in his letters, right? And then Paul also, we looked at that. We looked at many cases where baptism was preached. And then we started looking at some things that you might hear from someone who doesn't believe baptism is necessary. Some objections to that, right? We looked at, first of all, the thief on the cross. You, you probably heard that, right? And we talked about how he was saved, and there's no doubt about that, but there's no record of him being baptized, right? But we talked about how that was before the old law was nailed to the cross, before Jesus' death. In fact, we talked about how that's really no different than anybody in the Old Testament, right? You could say the same thing about David, about Moses, about Elijah, right? So we talked about how that's really not relevant to the case, to the, to the matter. We also looked at the, the fact that uh, many will say, well, what about Cornelius? What about Cornelius and his household? Cornelius received the Spirit before he was baptized, so therefore he must have been saved, right? And we talked about how, well, when you really look into it, when Peter saw the vision, when God sent the messengers to him, he told Cornelius to send these folks that they will hear words by which they will be saved. In other words, they had to be preached to. It wasn't about the spirit falling on them that made them, that saved them. In fact, we looked at other examples of that kind of happening, didn't we? Didn't mean someone was saved. In fact, we even, Brother Bill talked about, remember the donkey that Balak was riding on? How the spirit fell on the donkey and he spoke? Didn't mean the donkey was saved, right? So we had some, we had some issues with that, right? We did. And then last week we talked about um, when Paul was talking to the Corinthian church in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, right? And he was dealing with an issue of division in that congregation where many were saying, I am associated with Apollos because he baptized him, or I am associated with Paul, or I am of Peter, right? Because they had baptized him. And he was trying to correct that, trying to say, look, you're being of the world. You're being carnal. You're of Jesus Christ. You were born again, baptized into his death raised again in newness of life. You are not one of us. You're, you're, you're being of the world. You're thinking of the world, trying to divide yourself. And in that context, in verse 17, he said, I was called to preach, not to baptize. And many will use that verse to say, well, it must not have been that important, right? Because Paul, Paul is just saying right there, he came to preach, not to baptize. We talked about how that's not it at all. They completely take that out of context, completely. And we can read many other verses. We already have, where Paul talks about how important baptism was. In fact, Romans 6 is all about it. He explains the whole deal, right? We are baptized into his death, buried with him in baptism, raised again to newness of life. 1 Peter 3.21, when Peter talked about it, said that just as Noah was saved through the flood, baptism now saves us, right? And we can see those references to how important that is, right? And today, we're going to look at another, another objection, and this is going to kind of tie into all of those in a sense. It's going to be interesting to see. Another objection that you might see about the necessity of baptism is people often say, well, baptism's a work, right? Baptism's 
something that you have to do, and therefore we know we're not saved by works, right? So how can baptism be required for salvation? People often say that. And they'll support that objection by a few verses. And one we want to look at right now. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, and let's read. Let's read a verse there, a couple of verses out there, beginning in verse 8. He says, for, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship. Notice this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in those first two verses, we read, we're not saved by works. That's true. We're saved by grace, through faith, right? Not of ourselves that we could boast. And I want you to keep verse 10. Just take this, read that verse 10 again to yourselves and put that in your back pocket for a minute. I want you to keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that in a minute. So, certainly baptism is a thing that is done, right? It's a thing that people do. And as such, you might call it a work, right? When you do something, I guess you're working, right? Uh, when we're playing ball, I don't consider that work, right? I guess if you're getting paid for it, maybe you do. I don't know. I used to laugh about some guy on the radio. No, somebody had a neighbor who was a Falcons player, and he always would, he'd say, he'd getting up, you know, late in the afternoon from his nap, and say, well, I guess I got to go to work, and he was going to football practice. And the guy said, I never understood how they consider that work, going to play football, you know. But I guess when you're doing something, you can say that's working, right? So baptism is something that's done. But here's the question. Is, is baptism a work of merit by which one earns salvation? Or is it a work of faith, perhaps, by which one receives salvation? Hmm. Interesting concept. When we consider the work involved in baptism or the action, who is truly the one at work here? And that's what I was referring to back there in verse 10 of Ephesians 2. Is it the man or woman who has submitted themselves to being immersed? Or perhaps it is it God who actually does the forgiving and the regeneration through the blood of Jesus and the working of the Holy Spirit? Interesting concept. When we carefully consider what the Bible teaches, really there's no contradiction. There's no contradiction between the idea that we're saved by faith and not works and at the same time saved through baptism. But let's, let's continue on, see if we can make that more clear. Baptism is a work of faith. If you're going to call it a work, and frankly, I, I don't even like to call it a work, really. I mean, it is, and we'll explain that in a second, but I, I, I think of it more of obedience, right? You're obeying the command. You're doing what God wants you to do, not out of yourself, and certainly can't be saved by that from something that you've done, but it's... It's a, it's a concept that we're going to look at. There are different kinds of works. Works of merit, of course. Works done to earn something. <clears throat> and those who have done such works believe they deserve something, right? They believe that maybe because they've kept the Ten Commandments, they should be saved, right? Or maybe because they've always gone to church or done good deeds, they should be saved, right? It's these kind of works that Paul talks about a little bit in a few verses. Turn over to Romans Romans chapter 3, and let's, let's see what he had to say there. Romans chapter 3, 
And let's look at uh, verse 27. <coughs> so he says, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that as a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And then turn over to Titus 3. Let's see what he says there. <clears throat> Get over there. 3, and let's start with verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us hmm. through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So here we have some comments from Paul referring to salvation, not being of works. There was no way we can earn salvation. Turn over to James. Let's read a verse there before we go on. I know we're jumping around here. I'll try to go slow so we can keep up here. James chapter 2. Let's see what James had to say about it. Beginning in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. You see, James says, one sin, that's all it takes. One sin, and you're guilty of the whole law. So, if you think you can earn your salvation by what you do, you can't. One sin. You can't cover a sin by any amount of works. It's not possible. Hmm, okay. All right, I see what you're saying there. <clears throat> what are you talking about then? Where are you going with this? You see, there's also a works of faith. And we'll explain that. These are things done to receive something. These, those who've done some, some such works believe that they deserve nothing. They can't, they can't save themselves. They can't do anything to save themselves. They have to rely on someone else. God, the Father, right? <clears throat> they understand that salvation rests upon God's mercy and grace, not because God owes it to them, or not because of their obedience to the Ten Commandments, or whatever that is. Can't do it. Such works can rightly be called works of God. Hmm. Okay, so now you're saying there's a work, but it's not a man's work, maybe. Okay, interesting. Of which faith itself is called. Turn over to John, and let's read a few verses from there. John chapter 6. <clears throat> and let's begin in verse uh, 28. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Jesus says right here, Faith is a work of God. I said, well, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? Well, if you think about that, we believe, therefore, we obey, okay? 
These commands come through the old law. We see what righteousness is all about. We understand truth. Remember, going back a few weeks, when we talked about what is truth, it's been revealed to us. Sure, naturally, we can see things that are true by just observing. But we can't know everything unless it's revealed to us by the supreme being, the Heavenly Father, right? And through that, we could say he's working faith in us. He's having us believe through what he has revealed to us, through his truth, absolute truth. Well, there's other works of faith, right? God has commanded not just baptism, but other things, right? Look over at Acts chapter 17. Chapter 17, and let's look at a verse or two there. <clears throat> Starting in, uh, well, let's just read verse 30. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man who he then ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So, there's something else there, right? There's a command to repent, right? What is repentance? Turning from sin, right? Changing our heart, our mind. Making that willingly turn from doing wrong. When we are baptized, baptized into his death, the old man is buried, raised to the new man, newness of life, clean, free from sin. And then constantly being washed in the blood of Christ, we read about in 1 John. Well, what else is he commanded? Turn over to Romans chapter 10 there. <clears throat> chapter 10. And let's see. Let's begin in verse 9. If I can find it. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there's something else that's commanded, right? Confession. Truly a Christian, a child of God, will be willing to confess that Jesus is Lord. Will he not? And if not, you might need to wonder about your salvation a little bit there. Through such works, and I'm saying works, of, as faith, repentance, and confession are commanded, we receive salvation. Are these meritorious works? Are these works that earn our salvation when we do them? No. These are works God has ordained to receive salvation. All right. Now, I know that can be confusing. Because you're saying, well, you're doing works to receive salvation, but then you're saying you can't receive salvation through works. Remember, we're talking about meritorious works that we do. Can't, can't do it. No way you can receive salvation for anything that you've done. But we are commanded certain things that have to be done to receive salvation. Now, I've had discussions with folks who don't believe baptism is necessary, and then I'll say, well, what about repentance? Well, yeah, you've got to do that. We'll say, well, isn't that a work? Well, no, that's not a work. You're just changing your mind. It's still an action, is it not? 
If you use it in a sentence, it's a verb, isn't it? Yeah. There's still something being done there. You could say that faith is an action, right? You've got to believe, and many don't believe, right? No, that's just setting your mind, setting your heart towards something. But in essence, it's still an action. Confession, certainly an action. You've got to speak. You've got to move your mouth, right? So you could argue all day that baptism is not necessary, but yet you have these other things that you should be doing, that you should be doing in your life. In fact, if you're not doing it, as James says, you're kind of showing your faith, right? James said, you say you are saved by faith. I say I show you my faith by my works. All right. But even still, salvation is because of God's grace and mercy. Don't get me wrong. And what is said of faith and repentance and confession may also be said of baptism, right? Baptism is a work of faith. It's not meritorious, but it requires faith. The necessity of faith was emphasized by Jesus, was it not? We read that many times. Mark 16, going to all the world, baptizing, preaching, and baptizing disciples, making disciples of all nations. Actually, that's Matthew 28. I'm getting mixed up. Matthew 28, going to all the world, preaching, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, Philip made it a prerequisite of baptism. Turn over to Acts 8. Let's read that. I'm sure many of you know where we're going with this, but let's look at it anyways. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 36. Actually, let's go back to verse 34. This is when Philip is preaching to the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch. He says, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You see, Philip makes faith a prerequisite to baptism, right? You've got to believe and we're not going to get into it today, but what's that say about infant baptism? Hmm, just a thought. <clears throat> Forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit, union with Christ in his death, and being raised into new life are all part of that baptism in water, all part of that process. But baptism, again, is not a work of merit. And we just read in Titus 3 about that. We talked about how we are regenerated through the working of the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, there's work again, but it's not a man. It's the Holy Spirit, okay? While God saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing the Holy Spirit, He does not save us by those works of righteousness, by those works of merit. Therefore, baptism is clearly not some work of righteousness done to earn salvation. Now, where does the Bible suggest baptism is a work of merit? By which called us to salvation. Or he owes us salvation, right? Like faith, repentance, confession, baptism is simply an act of faith by which we receive salvation. Why is this so? Well, turn over to Colossians 2. Let's see what he says there. We've read this one many times. We're going to read it again.
starting in verse 11, he says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, notice this phrase, in the working of God. Wait a minute, what's that mean? Faith in the working of God, what's that mean? Notice the last part. Who raised him from the dead. Now he's referring to whom there? The Lord, of course, right? But then he says in Romans 6, we're buried with him. And we're raised in newness. By who? Well, by the working of God. Just like he raised Jesus. Interesting, interesting concept, is it not? God's at work in baptism. We bear to him, baptism raised in his life by the work of God. God does the work, not man. We're dead in our sins. As I've already mentioned, one sin is all it takes, you're dead. You have no hope. But God makes us alive, forgiving our sins. Thus, it's God who saves us, not ourselves. He's the one who does the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Titus 3. You could think of baptism as a spiritual operation, right? This is in your outline, actually. I didn't think this up myself. But when you go see a doctor and he says, you've got to have surgery, right? And you go get on that table and they put you to sleep. You think you have to have a little faith in that doctor? The last time I had surgery, when he read me that thing and I had to sign, and at the last line it said, impossible death? I thought, hmm, I'm not sure I should sign this or not. He can't guarantee something there. I don't, I don't know about that. But you got to have a little faith, don't you? Because you're going under and you ain't got no say in it after that. They can do whatever they want to you. Takes a little faith, doesn't it? And who's doing the work in there, by the way? Well, you, you went to sleep. I guess you could say that's a work. I don't know. I went to sleep. Sometimes it takes a little work to get to sleep. I don't know. But he's doing the work. You had no say in it. You didn't do anything but just lay there. Very similar to what God does through baptism, right? So, we see how our faith in God and the death of his son prompts us to submit to his commands, right? Prompts us to repent, prompts us to confess his name to the world, and to be baptized into his name. So, when we understand these things about baptism, we understand it's a work of faith, not a work of merit. It's a working of God who we turn to to receive salvation, not earn it. It makes sense, doesn't it? It tends to make sense more. Sure, you're going to hear people say that, well, you're not saved by works. Oh, no. Of course not. I remember there was a gentleman I was having a discussion one time, and he was saying, you're not saved by works. I said, well, I know that. I could have told you that. He said, well, you, baptism has nothing to do with it. I said, well, I, no, the water doesn't do anything. It's God doing it. He said, oh. I said, I'm, I'm just being buried with him in baptism. The water's got, you know, water's nothing. It's the blood that saves me. The shedding of his blood. He said, oh. Okay, well, I guess that's okay then. You know, when you think about it, it makes sense. It becomes clear. And it's why it's preached constantly by the apostles. Over and over and over. Every example of conversion in Acts, they're baptized immediately. 
find that pretty interesting, don't you? Sadly, well, many will reject that baptism because they see it as something you do. When in reality, if you think about it, baptism is the most passive act of faith that you can do, right? We just said you're not doing it. If you repent, is anyone doing that for you? When you're repenting, that's something you got to do. When you're confessing his name, that's something you got to do. But when you're baptized, you're just standing in the water. Yes, sir. That's right. Absolutely. Good job. Good paraphrase, Romans 6. Very good, Kurt. Yeah, absolutely. You're not doing anything. It's being done to you. Someone's dunking you and picking you up. But they're not doing it either. It's God working. person that dunks you can't forgive your sins. person that dunks you can't save you. And they're not earning salvation by dunking you either. Somebody's doing it. But they're just doing it. Because we're commanded by God saved by grace through faith, that none of ourselves, but by doing that, we obey. And we talked about last week or the week before, how do we show our love, John chapter 13, by our love for each other, obeying his commandments, following what he says to do. We tend to hear that, right? We tend to hear, well, you got to obey, you got to follow the law, you got to follow the commandments. And we think, well, it's not about following the rules. It's not about just obeying the law. And that's true. Because in the Old Testament, they couldn't do it. They had the perfect law, but nobody could keep it. And that's why he had to send his son. Nobody had any hope without that, right? That's why all these prophets, Isaiah, prophesies about the Messiah to come. There's going to be one coming. And, you know, they got it wrong. They thought he was going to be an earthly king and all this stuff, right? It wasn't about that. It was about his love for you and you and every person in this world. His willingness to save us through the death of his son. What greater example of love could there be, right? In fact, we have that scripture, no greater, man, no greater love can man do than to lay down his life for another, right? Which is easy said, but not so easily done. And God did it. To object to baptism requires men to do something. And it also requires you, when you think about it, to object to the fact that faith saves you. Or to object to the fact that repentance or confession would do that, right? If you're going to reject the idea that baptism saves you, and it doesn't in itself, then you've got to object to all of them, right? But I guarantee you nobody is going to tell you that you don't need to repent. You ever heard anybody tell you that? Didn't think so. Brother Copeland here goes on to talk about Martin Luther a bit. And I've, I've, I've discussed Martin Luther here before. I know many of you know the history. Some of you have, and I'm not going to bore you with the history again. I, I love history, so I could sit here and talk about him all day if you wanted to. But, uh, you know, he kind of challenged the Catholic Church in the early 1500s, right? Put the 95 Thesis on the, supposedly put the 95 Thesis on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. 
challenging the things that the Catholic Church was doing, the, the indulgences where you get paid to get your loved one out of purgatory and all those things. And then he's the one that supposedly coined the phrase that we are saved by faith alone. Studying after studying Romans thoroughly. But he has some things he wrote. And I've often wondered how, if, he, if he thought this at the beginning or if he progressed to this eventually. But when asked what gifts or benefits does baptism bestow, Luther replied, it affects forgiveness of sin. Now, he didn't necessarily say it saved you, but he did say it has forgiveness of sin. So you kind of relate forgiveness of sin to salvation, right? He also said concerning the sinner through baptism, he's bathed in the blood of Christ and cleansed from his sins. And again, he wrote, to put it most simply, the power, effect, benefit, fruit, and purpose of baptism is to save. And you probably never heard that if you've studied Martin Luther, right? You're not going to hear that part of it. If you really sit down and talk with someone who is a true studier of the word who may not preach baptism as necessary I think if you sit down and talk with them personally they're probably going to tell you well yeah you got to be baptized now I don't know if they necessarily are going to say baptism is necessary for salvation but they're going to emphasize it even though they may not be preaching it every day I've, he I've heard I don't know but Billy Graham said that to some I've heard some say that even though he didn't preach that in his crusades, if you sat down with him personally, he'd tell you that, yeah, you got to be baptized. And I think what I heard was, and don't, don't quote me on this, but that, you know, being in a crusade, it was very difficult to baptize thousands of people all at once. And I think, well, I know other people have done that, so I'm not sure why that would be that big a deal, but, you know. Point being, when you study the Scripture, it is so important, right? And it's easy to see. And I'm going to emphasize Romans 6 again. Because when you read Romans 6, buried with him in baptism, raised to newness of life, I don't see how you can get around it. That's your explanation right there. Is it not? Now, I've heard people try to get around it by telling me that's Holy Spirit baptism. And I'll tell them, how does Holy Spirit baptism bury you in baptism? They can't explain that. And then I'll turn to Acts 20 16 and I'll say, what about Paul when he's recounting his baptism? And, and I said, arise and be baptized, wash away your sins, call on the name of the Lord. Kind of hard to explain that one. So, what we're getting at here is baptism is not a work that you, can, you have to do to earn your salvation simply obedience to a command God's doing the work and when you realize that when you understand that it makes perfect sense does it not yeah, yeah. one thing I don't want you to get hung up on though is the idea of work because if you're talking with someone about it as soon as you say works most likely they're going to shut down they're going to say there you go you said it's works well, I gotta explain. It's not a work of, that you earn your salvation. Well, what else is there? You know, it's kind of hard to explain that sometimes, right? But you gotta understand, it's God doing the work. And when someone fully understands that, they can see that, right? All right. I know we've been harping on things like this. Baptism is uh, is essential. I thoroughly believe that. I know, if not all, the majority of you do in here. 
And I hope this has helped to understand what that means. We've done a lot of talk about objections to, what, to uh, baptism and so forth. Uh, we're going to be getting into next some things like infant baptism, uh, whether you can be sprinkled, things like that, uh, which is interesting. And those, to me, are the, are the less hard to understand, right? Because we know they were baptized in water. In fact, Philip, when he baptized the eunuch, it explicitly says they went down into the water and they came up out of the water. And there is no doubt in my mind that the Lord made sure that was in that scripture so we could understand that. All right? Now, does this mean you go and beat on somebody because they don't believe baptism is essential? Well, <clears throat> we do everything in love, right? Sure, we're supposed to talk to folks, correct them if we need to, uh, make a defense for our faith, but we do everything out of love, right? And gentleness, not lording it over people. So we have to be careful in that respect, too. Baptism is a work of faith, and when someone comes here, wants to be a member, as one of the elders, we're going to ask them, when were you baptized? And we're going to get into that. What was your belief about that? And then we're going to ask them, did you believe you were baptized for forgiveness of sins? And so forth. And we'll discuss that with them, and many times they say, yes, I was baptized for forgiveness of sins. And we say, okay. That, that, you know, we, we can't get in their mind but we're going to discuss that with them because we want to make sure that you have assurance of salvation. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing this study is I want you to be assured of your salvation. Sometimes we can get caught up in the details, right? We can get caught up in the, well, I don't know, I don't know this or that. But be assured if you're obeying the commands of God, you can have that assurance. If you're walking in the light like we read about in 1 John, you're constantly being bathed in the blood of Christ. Sure, you have sin. You're not perfect. You're growing spiritually. You're constantly turning, right? And hopefully you're becoming more like Christ every day. And that's all part of that process. But it all begins when we're raised in newness of life, right? Yes, sir. Kurt's saying it doesn't matter who baptizes you, as long as they're baptizing your name of the Father and Son of the Holy Ghost for mission of your sins. Absolutely right. There have been times when people got hung up on that though and tried to force that on folks. And that's not good either. Yes, ma'am. Right, Debbie mentioned that. And that's what I'm talking about. When we have someone come here, we want to make sure they understand it. And we have an example of that, right? Remember? Uh, when Paul rebaptized Aquila and Priscilla because they did not know of the baptism of Christ, they only knew the baptism of John. So you have those examples. 
you have the understanding of what God is wanting, the, uh, what God is commanding here, and I hope that that equips you a little bit if you ever come across someone and need to discuss that with, right? Again, with love and gentleness in mind. All right, the doors have opened. I guess we're done. Thanks for being here.